The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, we're talking one of the big winners of the trade deadline, the Miami Heat, with someone who knows them inside and out. But first, Darlene, get us started. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. <laughs> His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Welcome to Catch and Shoot 2.0. I'm Otto Strong along with my partner, Aaron Berlin. Aaron, what is going on? Not much. Excited to talk with Ethan Skolnick about what the Miami Heat did at the trade deadline. Big news. They acquired Victor Oladipo. He's back in the Sunshine State. But Otto, we have a Final Four. We know who the last four are in the tournament. What were your thoughts after tonight's game? Uh, my thoughts were that the one game I was concerned about for my bracket, because let's face it, right now it's just all about the bracket. I was my, concerned my, my about the... <laughs> like I stopped looking at that. After the first day, I threw it up. I, you know, tried to make a three-pointer into the trash can and it didn't work. So it's just sat decrepit on my floor ever since. Going into the last game, ask me where I was in terms of percentage. Okay, where were you? 98.5. Oh, you lie. You I, lie. I, I'll, I'll get There's the laptop. No way. Out you had ORU. No, 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 I didn't. I didn't. But so many people blew, you know, based on the points, I was in the top one and a half percent. Now, I don't know. I didn't. Ch- I didn't check to see what what happened after, after this fiasco. But I That's had actually Michigan. really impressive. I crazy, right? I'm I had Michigan. Oh, I'm I'm proud of me too. Thank you. I'm gonna break <laughs> my arm right here. All right, there. I had Michigan, and I was so excited and thought. But you know what? I like you could you could see this not. You could see this slowly <laughs> getting away. I just I didn't like the I didn't like a lot of the decisions. The point guard play on Michigan's. Uh, I, I just nothing against the guy, but. I, even even the last game, I wasn't really wasn't really in love with that. I thought, okay, if they if they somehow get past UCLA, they're I mean, Suggs is just going to eat them alive. But, it felt like a, it felt like a good coach in Jawan Howard. Yep. Who got out coached by an experienced coach? Does that make sense? It, like, it, like like saying it like that. Does that make sense? Like Jawan Howard's going to be a great coach. Yeah. And you know he's still kind of like feeling out the process of what the tournament is like from, you know, someone who's only been in that position, what, what a year so far? Sure. Yeah, second year. As yeah. opposed to Mick Cronin, who paid his dues at Cincinnati, yep. was there a long time, had been at Murray State, has been in numerous tournaments, who's made a few runs. And that was just an ex- a thing where experience and a rising young coach who's going to be a star at Michigan. Well, absolutely. Yeah. No, you're not, you're not wrong. So now you got UCLA going up against Gonzaga. Is this, is this even a conversation? <laughs> is there? I, I, I really don't know. I, I was sitting there and thinking about that. 
And the game I was obviously really excited for tonight was Gonzaga and USC. Yeah. I, I kind of bought into the hype of I had watched USC just decimate Kansas the week before with their length and their athleticism. And I had bought into the Moby brothers and I was convinced that the Pac-12 was unbeatable in the tournament. Right. But that game, you know, and they said Kevin Harlan does such a good job at not only describing the action when you're on television, when you're watching it on TV, but even when you step away. Yep painting a picture for you and you know he had a moment where he spoke about the elegance of Gonzaga's offense and the way that they cut and they moved the basketball and really when you're watching them it's poetry in motion and Jalen Suggs is not playing like a freshman and he's fit into that offense perfectly and you know I'm so happy for Mark Few because there were a lot of times prior to 2017 when they made their first final four that it didn't seem like he was just ever going to get over that hump right like he had had Adam Morrison and a lot of really good Gonzaga teams but hadn't been able to break through it feels like Gonzaga's there now you know not only are they in the final four but they're in the conversation of easily one of the top five basketball programs in college basketball, right? Oh, no, no doubt. I mean, and just as impressive, everything you said, I agree with all of it, but their defense, I mean, it's yeah. like that, that is kind of the, the, the shiny new object in their, in their toolkit. And I, I, I think that's going to be the thing that, that pushes them, you know, that pushes them, you know, to the, to the top. Yeah. The Cause, cause what was the thing Andy Enfield said? He, he said that like, the most frustrating thing about when you play Gonzaga is the way that they get out and they run and they create transition buckets. And he said mm-hmm. the one thing that they couldn't have is points off turnovers. And then Gonzaga, I think, has 15 points off turnovers in the first 15 minutes of the first half. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just, you, it, it's hard to combat. And they look like they're playing on a completely different level than everybody else. Yeah. So, so we'll say Gonzaga's going to be waiting for... Uh, actually, they won't be waiting because they play the second game. But either way, it's, you, you, you get my point. Your home state? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, big state. So, you know, Waco and, and Houston, uh, but still Baylor, Baylor and Houston. Who do, who do you like? What do you think? So this game is really interesting, not only because these two teams are really good, but because of the narratives with the coaches. You know, mm-hmm. Kelvin Sampson had that whole issue with uh, Indiana where he had basically been booted from the entire um, industry of college basketball. Right? Like before he took this Houston job, like who was – who is going to hire Kelvin Sampson? Yeah. And, and for no good reason, because if you look at the things that Kelvin Sampson did while he was at Indiana, you'd laugh at him, right? <laughs> like, you look at the things that are going on at Arizona, LSU, some of the sanctions against Kansas. Right. All those guys still have jobs. Kelvin Sampson was sending a few extra text messages every now and then, and then got booted from Indiana. And to take a program that hadn't been to the Final Four since the 80s and build it into the contender that he did, it's one of the best stories in college basketball. And yeah, Otto, we're talking about Scott Drew. You know, this is a guy, when he took over this program, it was about as close to complete disarray as a college basketball program possibly could be. Yeah. And Scott Drew's been a really good coach for a long time, and he's been a rising star in the industry. But the last few years, he's really figured it out, man. And Baylor was a good team last year that could have made a final four and was in route to a number one seed. They deserve this, and I'm proud of what they've done because he hasn't necessarily done it with all Americans, but he's done it with the players that fit his system and the players that have bought in. Yeah, so, yeah, they, yeah. So um, that's basically a roundabout way of saying I, I don't, I, I don't really know who's going to win this game. Yeah. But as a Big Twelve guy, I'm pulling for Scott Drew because I've watched that program. Of course, no, I, I totally, totally get that. And and I'll just go check you one on one thing. But, you know, Baylor actually 
70 years, <laughs> 1950. So, hey, look, you know, you, you weren't around. So, don't, you're, you're, you're good. I'll give, I, I was, we'll give you a pass. What was going on in 1950 that Baylor made the Final Four? Like, uh, what, what else was happening in the college basketball landscape that allowed Baylor to make a Final Four? Weren't they still using buckets, you know, peach, peach buckets at that, <laughs> at that point? <laughs> like, James Naismith was still trying to figure out how to get the ball to drop through the peach basket, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, man, I'm not sure. Like, we have this stick, and we just kind of, like, poke it out. And yeah. then someone's like, yeah, what if you just cut off the bottom of it and just let it drop through? Yeah, you know? like, I, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be highly entertaining. And um, – I don't know. I'm I'm going, I'm going like you. I'm going to give a slight edge to to Baylor. I just think their uh, athletic system is you know, from what I've seen in their in their games leading up to. Um, but look, both programs are are great and should be really entertaining. Yeah, and just to put the th- put this out there because I'm looking at it right now, the betting line favorites to open up that game. It's the only one that's available right now. Baylor by five. So. So where would you go? What would you what would you go with the points on that? Oh, I, I, I'd take Baylor and the points easily. Um, I've, I've watched Houston a few times this year. Uh, I know Quentin Grimes from his freshman year at Kansas. I'm still not bought in, so, and this Baylor team's really good. And plus, I'm just hoping and praying that we get a Baylor and Gonzaga national championship because we were robbed of that game earlier in the year. Yeah. All right. Well, we talked some college hoops. You want to talk a little NBA basketball about one of the biggest days of the year? Let's do it. To talk more about the Miami Heat and where they stand following the trade deadline, we bring in the CEO of Five Reasons Sports Network and the host of the Five on the Floor podcast, longtime Heat insider, Ethan Skolnick. Ethan, welcome. How are you doing? Good to be with you. How are you <laughs> doing? Doing okay. Doing okay. But hey, before we get into uh, before we get into NBA stuff, and there's a lot to talk about. Any 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 quick any quick things like how's your how's your final four? How's your bracket doing? You know what? I'll be honest with you. I didn't fill one out this year. Um, I, it's just it's weird because you know when you start covering the NBA, you really only cover. I found that I only really follow the NCAA for draft eligible players right that's pretty much the way it works (laughs) and then and then and then we got out of it last year because there was no tournament there were no conference tournaments and so i completely got out of the rhythm of following it and so at this point with the nba games fast and furious i was going to fill out a bracket but i didn't want to be like one of those people who accidentally wins just because they like the team's colors yes and or because or because you know Keith Smart did something for Indiana 25 years ago, and so all of a sudden uh, you know, I'm projecting that on this. So I, I actually did not fill one out this year. I've watched some of the games, but, uh, you know, and also covering the Heat, you kind of learn not to emphasize the draft all that much because pretty much they're just going to draft the guy from Kentucky. Yeah. So there, there's really no reason to watch any – or they're going to trade the pick as an asset for something else. So right. uh, it's been a little unusual in recent years where they've actually – Crafted and kept the player, so I really haven't followed the tournament all that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you know what? No harm, no foul. Let, you know, <laughs> we're here to talk Miami Heat basketball, so let's get to it. So, uh, Miami's Miami was able to get a trade in with Houston mm-hmm. just before the deadline. Uh, how surprised are you that they were able to, able to make that move, especially given the low asking price and uh, you know with Avery Bradley and the Kelly Olynyk swap and all that? So, how, where were you with all that? Well, I, I think. Um, this is the case of Pat Riley playing the market better than anybody else. And they knew that what was out there about Oladipo, which was put out by a certain ESPN national reporter, 
was bogus. Um, okay. and, and they know that because they know that certain teams use that national reporter to get information out that may not be completely accurate. And in this case, uh, the, what was not completely accurate was this report that Houston had been offered mid first round picks and a young player for Oladipo. They, they knew that Houston did not plan on keeping him. They also knew that nobody was giving that up for essentially a rental and that Oladipo had not proven enough at this point to really warrant an extension on site. And so essentially they knew that the Oladipo thing was always in their back pocket. I think the way that this played out, Lowry was the prize for them. Lowry is the one that Jimmy wanted. Um, this is arguably his closest friend in the league, other than Goran Dragic at this point. Um, he loves uh, Lowry. And so he's wanted Lowry for more than a year, which is why we've been reporting it, that this would be a heat target. And that if Toronto you know, merely fell out of the race which they for, for contention, which they kind of have, the fact that they were playing in Tampa would make it easier for Masai to trade Lowry because you know, you didn't have to deal with the home fans having to say goodbye to somebody who's been pretty much a franchise icon for almost a decade now and, and helped them win a title. So we always felt that Lowry would be available to them. I think what Masai, it, it was interesting because you had Masai and Pat in this and Sam Presti. Some of the best GMs were actually involved in a lot of these negotiations. And I think what Masai did was he overestimated the Heat's desperation. Um, I think he thought that I wasn't necessarily a hero, by the way. Some of those reports were he wanted uh, he he wanted Robinson uh, a first and precious uh, plus filler, which would probably be a Linux. And the Heat had to find the first from somewhere because they don't have it unless they get the pick unprotected from from OKC. And Presti was holding them for a ransom for that. So basically. You know, he wanted Miami to essentially pony up more maybe to OKC, not necessarily to, to Toronto, to be able to get that first round pick. And Miami was having difficulty getting it. But I think Masai thought that ultimately Riley would bend because Jimmy wanted Lowry so badly that and they had an extension ready for Kyle, by the way, they would have extended. I mean, they couldn't do it technically, but there was going to be a wink wink like there was when they traded for Dragic in 2000. Uh, 15, where they got Goran's rights for two first-round picks. And then, you know, Goran was going to be a free agent. And everybody knew that Goran was going to resign, but they just, you know, they, they couldn't do it at the time. But I think Masai overestimated how desperate Pat was. And Pat knew ultimately that Houston was more desperate than Toronto was. And that's why when the stalemate happened with Toronto, Pat could go back to, <laughs> Pat could go back to Houston with 15 minutes left in the deadline and basically say, you want something for the player because otherwise you're not getting anything because there, that report from ESPN was garbage. Um, and so there was nobody else ponying up anything for Oladipo. And that's why they were able to get him for essentially nothing. And, and this is, this is kind of the second time that Pat's done this in recent years, you know, the, you know, Minnesota Tibbs wanted a ransom for Jimmy. He wanted Bam, uh, and Pat held the line on that. He ended up getting Jimmy for Josh Richardson. who's a nice player, but I mean, that's it didn't even have to give up a Linux, which he was supposed to, gave up a pick, which he didn't care about. And he ultimately, uh, and he was able to dump Whiteside in, in the process, which was the biggest coup of the whole thing. Then you look at the trade deadline last year, he won it basically by getting Iguodala and Crowder for Winslow, who's hardly played since, who they were kind of finished with. Um, and they were able to dump James Johnson and Deion Waiters contracts in that deal. So there was two magic tricks. And this is the third 
they got Victor Oladipo for basically a three-month trial here to see how it works. A, a motivated Victor because he's, you know, he hasn't been happy in his last two spots. He's due for a contract. He's wanted to play in Miami. He wants to continue playing in Miami. They got him for Kelly for one rotation player. Um, and they also picked up uh, because Avery Bradley wasn't healthy for three months. And then they just picked up Bielitsa to essentially replace Olenek. I don't think he's quite the player, but he's close enough. Uh, for Harkless, who had 15 points for them the whole season, 13 last night, and Chris Silva, who was a big, who wasn't part of their future plans. So essentially, he got Oladipo and Butler for nothing. Um, and so in this whole thing where sometimes people get frustrated down here because he doesn't get every star, he can't convince Bradley Beal to come out. I mean, this idea that Pat is washed is, is the most ridiculous notion in the world. I mean, he keeps getting all-stars for no, when he has no currency to do it, and he's kept his flexibility now for the future where if Kawhi decides, if the Clippers flame out again or Bradley Beal finally figures out Washington ain't it, that, uh, you know, he, they'll be the best position team in the league to swoop in on them. So I don't know that they get back to the finals this year, but they've given themselves a chance to at least compete with the top three in the East. And they've kept all flexibility for the future. So it's just I've covered Pat for 25 years. I mean, he's made some mistakes, but these kind of trades and Andy Ellisberg, the two of them, there's nobody better in the league at, at pulling this stuff off. It's just they they do it time after time. Yeah, yeah. You put look, you put a lot, a lot out there, but I'll say like you know, you don't always you know a, a winning season doesn't always mean you get a ring and a championship at the end. Sometimes it's that you're just set up in a great position to make that next move, make that next run for next year. But the, going back to to, to Pat Riley. So it's, I mean, you know, Masai New Jersey is no, you know, he's no slouch as, as a GM. Right. So it's like, it's like everyone's playing chess, but like Pat's playing 3D chess is what it, <laughs> yes. is what it sounds like. <laughs> right. Um, that, that's, that's crazy. So, so in the end, it wasn't so much that the, that the Toronto deal fell through for any reason other than that Pat knew, hey, I, I got, I got Houston in my back, in my back, right. my back pocket. And I could just, I could just tap that if I, if I need to. Yeah, uh, that's pretty yeah. much it. All right. So um, how does... Odipo change the Heat's attack? Well, I mean, look, um, the reality is Miami's been a bad offensive team this year. And we can talk about the injuries and the period of time that Jimmy was out. Uh, Goran has been out a lot and has not really played at the level uh, that he did in the bubble. I think he came back too soon from the foot injury. Uh, the explosiveness is not there. Even that 20-point fourth quarter he had about two weeks ago was all jumpers. Um, he he's really has not been able – to get to the rim like we know Goran can. The Heat, you know, like to point to this stat that Jimmy, Goran, and Bam have only played, like, at this point, it's maybe, like, 95 minutes together this season. But the reality is those 95 minutes haven't even been that good because Goran hasn't been great. So you add to the fact that Hero, you know, I think because they put too much on his plate early, they put him in the starting lineup, expected him to kind of be a point guard or at least a secondary point guard. His three-point percentage... It's come up the past week, but it had gone all the way down from 39 for last year to 30 this season, even as some of his other numbers have come up. And Duncan Robinson is still an elite three-point shooter, but he's not otherworldly like he was last season where he was 44 to 45% on high, high, high volume. Uh, this year, the volume is the same, but he's at 37 to 38%. So it's still good. Um, he's still attracting a ton of attention, which is one of the problems that he's had is trying to develop counters. But the shooting has not been great. Olenek's number was down. None, as, as people, I think, have figured out, can have a great month and then be the worst player in the league for the next month. And so 
you know, they just haven't had the shooting. Uh, now, Oladipo is not necessarily an elite shooter, but what Oladipo will do is he will help Jimmy in terms of breaking down the defense. And, and I think what you said, this is just on the offense. The defensive end, Vic is still elite. And, and you're putting, they have the potential now to put out a lineup, if they can get any shooting out of it all, of Bam, Ariza, Iguodala, Oladipo, and Butler. Um, no one is scoring on that. Right. Uh, Vic is still elite. And, and to me, Jimmy is as good a wing defender. At the level he's played at this season is unbelievable. Jimmy has been unreal. Uh, he's playing at the best level of his career, if you talk to people around him, uh, defensively. So uh, defensively, Vic helps immediately. And they've been really good defensively. That's been one of the amazing things. I mean, for all the struggles they've had in the in and out, Eric is, you know, I mean, they've had a top seven defense this year, even while, you know, they're playing guys like Dragic and Hero and Robinson and Olenek, you know, in heavy minutes, um, which is kind of remarkable. It speaks to how, you know, good Spo is, but also how good Bam and Jimmy are. But offensively, I think the thing that Vic helps is he'll help them get relief buckets. He'll help them get to the line. Uh, Jimmy and Bam get to the line a lot, as you know, when they're playing well. This is the third guy who can do that. The biggest thing I saw last night, though, where they could really use Vic, and they beat the Knicks by 10, they always scored 98 is that when Jimmy and Goran are not on the floor, they're a train wreck. I mean, they, they try to run offense through Bam, who is better at it than any center in the league other than Jokic, but he's still – you really shouldn't be your point guard. Um, and they just don't – Tyler is turnover prone. None is not – well, none wasn't there last night. He's not really a point guard. Ariza and Iguodala are not players that you want making plays. They're, they're facilitators, but you don't want them initiating the action. The Vic can carry them in those minutes. And I, I think that's a huge – to me, that's a five- or six-point swing mm -hmm. in a given game because, you know, as opposed to not having someone like that out there. So I just think that uh, he's going to make a huge difference that way. And, and again, you're going to get a motivated Oladipo. Um, the Heat were not all in on Vic, I can tell you that. Like, they wanted – I talked to people three months ago, six months ago. They wanted the price to come down because they were not impressed by Vic's actions in the bubble him actively trying to join the heat during a series against the heat like other other organizations would be flattered uh pat is that's you don't do that like pat didn't i mean alonzo morning and patrick ewing are best friends and he got pissed off when the two of them would go to dinner during heat next series you don't do that stuff uh and so they they weren't down with it but if you're just giving up kelly olenic i mean uh, you know who is a free agent at the end of the year anyway like and a pick swap that probably won't even materialize like why would you not and so that's that's kind of what they, they've got a flyer on a player who's been an all-star and even if he's 85 percent of what he used to be he's a hell of a lot better than what they've been putting on the floor when jimmy's not on the floor yeah hey look it's business yeah so do a re rewind for a second so last year obviously you know, we had we had COVID. Uh, everyone went away. People came back. Bubble. You know, heat. Okay, we win, win the first series and win the second series. People start paying more attention. So, if you if you could, how do you think the team stands stacks right now compared to when we went when when the league suspended play? Because like, you know, they weren't obviously it, they it, weren't a team that was going to like a, yeah you know people forget that though people forget yeah. that they were not playing well right um, they got off to a great start last season they had incredible offensive flow they were setting a record for assist percentage and all that and they went into like a three week rut right before COVID they they actually the night that the league stopped I was at the arena 
And they had a 30-point lead against Charlotte with Jimmy out. They blew it. Um, they were not playing good basketball at that point. And, you know, the Iguodala-Crowder moves actually didn't look so great at the time because um, they kept losing games. So there are some parallels here to now. I, I feel like, um, you know, the bubble, it's crazy. You know, people talk about them being bubble flukes or bubble frauds. That's not it, okay? But did they benefit from the bubble? Yes. And, and the way that the organization described it to me, and look, I said it at the time. When they got into the bubble, I said, I think they're a sleeper to get out of the East. Um, I didn't pick them. I thought they'd lose in the conference finals. But I thought they'd beat Milwaukee. I picked them to beat Milwaukee because of the matchup. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I liked them was the Heat are a team of – they're an organization of routine and regimen. Um, there are 25 years of best practices in that organization that have been passed down from Pat to Eric and then from Eric to his staff. <laughs> And so being in a bubble environment where the practices were routine, right? There was nothing to do but basketball. You had a leader in Jimmy Butler who only cares about basketball. And coffee. You had it, and coffee, <laughs> right? Well, you developed a burgeoning business there, right? right, right. And so, so you, had, you had Jimmy and, and then you had young legs, but you also had veteran leadership, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, in terms of uh, Jimmy and Haslam and Dragic and Iguodala. It was kind of the perfect mix for them. Like, if any organization was going to benefit from from what was going on in the bubble, it was them. Um, And then the way it's been described to me this year is this is like the antithesis of the way the Heat like to operate. They had a short offseason. They like to have a a full, complete workout program that they give to their players for four months. The guys come in for offseason workouts, even if they are mandatory. So they had tired legs to begin with. They didn't have a full routine. Then they had the COVID situation, right, which was, you know, which, you know, they were. And here's the other thing. This is where being kind of the upstanding organization hurts you. Other organizations rested guys when they got close to eight players that they could sit out. They said they had injuries. The Heat had a stretch where Tyler was hurt. And the Heat only had seven other players, and the Heat pushed him out onto the floor. They lost a, a back-to-back set with Philadelphia, one of which they had eight guys that were incredibly competitive against them, and the next one they ran out of gas. Like, I've asked people in the organization, they say if they could do it again, they would have just, t- just said Tyler was hurt, and they would have they taken the week off, and they would have three fewer losses. So I, I think that they've learned some things through this that like kind of playing it the right way is not when they started seeing what other teams were doing. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff came together. Then Jimmy has the ankle injury, then Dragic isn't right. So I'm not going to look, it sounds like excuses. They're two games under 500, uh, one game. Under. They should be better than that. Um, but the reality is they've had a lot go against them. And when you talk to people out there, like if we just get healthy, we add a couple pieces here. They now asked they they lost Olenek. That's it. But they've added, Bielitsa, Oladipo, and Ariza. They feel like they can compete with anybody. Now, I think that it's going to come down to matchups. Um, I don't like, uh, you know, I don't like the, the Brooklyn matchup for them at all. Uh, but I still like the Milwaukee matchup, and I like the Milwaukee matchup against Brooklyn. So if there could be a situation where Milwaukee can perhaps knock off Brooklyn, then right. you never know because. I look at the Bucks and I say, okay, they have some depth issues, although they, they're trying to address that with guys like Teague and others to see if they've got any, they can squeeze anything else out. But they don't have George Hill like last year. They, they, they've lost some pieces that were helpful to them last year. With that being said, their three best players are all really good defenders, just like Miami's, mm-hmm. okay? And you can put Giannis on Durant, you can put Middleton on Harden, and you can put Holiday on Kyrie. And I'm not saying you win, but you have a shot. Okay, 
And, and so if, if those guys can do anything offensively, okay, and I think a lot of it comes down to Chris because he can be a little bit up and down. Uh, but if he, if he can provide them consistent scoring on decent efficiency, they can beat Brooklyn. And, you know, the other thing is, it's pretty likely Kyrie's going to have some kind of injury or issue. Uh, we know that Harden does not play as well in the postseason. We also know that KD, you know, is still as good as he looked earlier season, still coming off a serious thing that could flare up. And so I feel like the Heat, I think, are kind of playing the percentages here and thinking we'll stay out of the play-in. Maybe we get in Philly's bracket. I think they feel like they got a shot there. Uh, Embiid, you know, is great, but Bam plays him as well as anybody. Bam plays Giannis as well as anybody. And I think they think like they got a puncher's chance. I don't think they necessarily think they have a puncher's chance against Brooklyn, but the idea is maybe somebody else does the dirty work for them. And it wouldn't stun me if we saw the Heat in the finals there. I, I am not going to bet against Jimmy. I'm just not. Yeah, I, I, yeah. He's just better. He's better than they thought. Um, yeah. I will say, they all tell me that he's better. And playoff Jimmy is a different level. And you saw it last night. Like, we got playoff Jimmy in the third quarter last night. Like, they were, they were in the mud against the Knicks. They scored 35 in the first half. And he just said, I'm putting my freaking head down, and I'm getting to the basket. And it was just – it was a layup clinic. And I, I, he, he, he's remarkable. I, 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 for a guy who has no jumper anymore, and it's gone, okay, I don't really know how he does it. I, I don't I – don't, he's got a lot of Dwayne in his game, um, mm-hmm. sort of old man game and that kind of yeah. stuff. He's great in the post. And he's just – He's, I mean, he's got a, he's like a combination of Dwayne and Zoe. He's got Zoe's mentality and he's got some of Dwayne's game. He's not as good at anything as any of the Heat grades, but he's like a mini LeBron too, in terms of the playmaking. He's got a little of all of them. And it's it's just been, it's, he's much better than I thought. I'll just, Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. Mm. You, so you mentioned uh, Brooklyn, uh, and so you know, Lamarcus Aldridge, who went to Brooklyn, was you know one of those guys uh, that they could have wound up with Miami. Um, so, are there any other players Miami's looking in the buyout market? Anyone in the, <laughs> that might assist? Well, them? They, they, well, you said could have. They thought he was coming. I mean, I, I can tell you. I mean, we reported it um, throughout our network. I confirmed, you know, one of my colleagues' reports with three different people. They they thought Lamarcus was coming. You lose six straight, and things. Happen. Your guy wants an easier road, and things happen. I, I think his role would have been more prominent in Miami. But that being said, he wasn't great with the Spurs this year. And I, I don't feel like they're lamenting it that much. I think they're just, they just didn't really have a plan B. Um, and they usually do. I, they're looking at Dwayne Dedman, um, who's, you know, became a little bit of a stretch player, but mostly a rebounder, but he's rehabbing from an ankle injury. Um, Gorgie Jang was never really an option. He and Jimmy had a bad relationship in Minnesota. I did not think that was going to happen. Uh, Jimmy still does get some sway here. Um, a lot of it. And so that wasn't going to happen. Uh, and DeMarcus, you know, there's a reason DeMarcus has been sitting out there for three and three plus weeks. I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Miami has a history with him. Jimmy's close with him. I, I, I think they've made a decision on DeMarcus for now. Okay. It wouldn't stun me if they bring him in. They've, they've told other guys to wait before. I remember with Odin, with Eddie Curry, both experiments did not work. Um, Chris Anderson, they told to wait a few weeks while they did some investigations, and that did work. He went, they went 37-3 and three when they picked him up. And they had the 27-game winning streak when they picked him up in 2012. It would not stun me if they bring him in, but I think one of the considerations is this. Either he doesn't play well and it's a total no-go, in which case you don't lose anything, but you don't gain anything, or he does play well, but then he gets played off the floor in the playoffs, and then he sunks. And I, I think there's some concern with that also because I, we've seen Eric likes to go small in the postseason. Most teams size down in this postseason. I don't know if you can play Cousins with Bam. 
Um, and Bam's minutes are going to go up anyway, We're probably without back-to-back. So I, I don't – look, I, I think they were hoping Precious would, would pick up his game. I think he's hit the wall. No summer league, no tournament last year. They need – and I don't think Bielitsa can be their only big. So I, I do think they're going to bring in someone, but my guess would be they give it another week or two and bring Deadman in. Uh, or maybe even a Rondé Hollis-Jefferson as sort of a, a switchable four that can be added to the mix so that they're not as reliant on two guys in their mid-30s in Ariza and Iguodala. Mm. All right, last question before I let you go. So where do you see the Heat landing this season? You know, what, 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 uh, what playoff slot do you think they're going to wind up in? I, I think they'll end up in the four or five spot. I do. Um, okay. I don't think there's time to chase the top three, but I do think Eric's teams tend to get better as the season goes on. They're adding a significant player. They're better than the Knicks. I think we saw that last night. Um, Charlotte not having LaMelo obviously hurts them quite a bit. Indiana, too many injuries and issues there. Uh, I still think Toronto has the best personnel out of that group. But I, I just think the playing in Tampa, man, that's, it's got to be wearing on them. I, they, just, they don't look this – they have more good players than these other teams um, do other than Miami and the top three. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't seem to be happening. So, I mean, I would – I think the Heat can can kind of cruise into a four or five spot. I don't think it matters. Um, I, and I think, again, they're hoping Philadelphia finishes first or Milwaukee. Uh, and, sure. and just let Brooklyn be the two. Let mm-hmm. one of those other teams deal with them. Yeah. And, and maybe you get, at worst case, you get to the conference finals. And best case, you're playing in Milwaukee again. And I, I think they're in Giannis's head a little bit. So I, yeah. I do think that that matchup. But I, I expect the four or five. Cool, cool. Well, everybody, that's Ethan Skolnick for all things Miami Heat. He's the the guy you want to talk to. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Likewise. That was dope. And I always love talking talking hoops with a guy like Ethan. I mean, he just knows so much about that team. Uh, Really love the part where he's talking about Pat Riley. But, you know, let's face it, there's a lot that that does not get done without Andy Ellsberg, you know, the GM, the capologist in chief down there. So, So let me ask you. What do you okay. think of the Oladipo move? So, so here was my initial thought. And so this is what's tough, tough about this, Otto. I live in Central Florida where everybody is diehard Magic fans, right? Like they, they view this through a prism of it, – it's basically like little brother syndrome, right? Like these two franchises entered the league – at almost the exact time. I, I think they were staggered. I think Miami might have entered first and Orlando entered the following year. And everything that everyone here in Orlando has seen of late is nothing but success for Miami. And so when you look at it, Victor Oladipo was a player that the Magic drafted number two overall, right? He is a very charismatic individual. He is a, when healthy, a highlight real player. And now you have to watch him three and a half hours south play for a franchise that has had a lot more recent success. And so for Magic fans, this is very frustrating. For Heat fans and for the Heat franchise, this is the absolute best move they could have made at the trade deadline. One, because the most important thing about Victor Oladipo, and I think the thing that a lot of people are trying to figure out right now is how healthy is he, right? Like he has the injury in Indiana and it was coming off a season in which he was playing at an all-star level. He'd played some of his best basketball that we'd seen in a long, long time. And then bam, wiped out. Didn't get to see him for a long time. And injuries like that still take a long time to, to work back. I mean, think about Paul George, right? When he had his big injury in Indiana, how long did it take him just to get back to an all-star level? 
it was at least like year year and a half yeah, right year, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, like so no one was expecting oladipo to come out and be tremendous this year but i think what we're trying to figure out is just how healthy is he because he's going into a contract year and so what this does for the miami heat is this allows them to get their medical personnel to have a clear picture of what they're getting themselves into if they do try to make um, a free agent signing this summer for Victor Oladipo. And, and number two, it also gives them an extra bit of firepower as they try to make a playoff run this summer. Because remember, this was a team that made the NBA Finals last year. It seems hard to remember just that run that they went on with Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler and everything that they were doing. Well, now you have an extra weapon and a guy who can get you a bucket if he needs to. And so for the Miami Heat, I love the move. I think it gives Jimmy Butler a running mate. I think it takes some pressure off Tyler Hero, and it gives them an opportunity to wrap their arms around him, really know who he is, see if he fits that culture. Because here's the other thing, Otto, and you and I were talking about this. He's 28 years old, and he's played on five NBA teams. And the first thing someone will tell you that before they've gotten their second contract, if you played on five NBA teams, there's something wrong with you. And it's not necessarily from a talent standpoint, right? Mm, okay. All right. Well, that will something to keep an eye on. But let's, let's uh, stick in the Sunshine State. Let's talk about your team, team in your backyard, Orlando Magic. So how, what do you think of their, where they're at? So I, so I have a saying, and I've learned this from my beloved Kansas City Royals. Trades should hurt, right? And I've said this for a long time. Like Franchises don't make trades because they love just making transactions right? Like you're not going to deal a player that you invested heavily into just because you feel like you have to make a deal at the deadline. I, I always relate it back to this. And this gets me in a lot of trouble because I like using cross sports analogies, but whatever. Like Zach Grinke is a transformational baseball player. And when Zach Grinke was with the Kansas City Royals, he was coming off a Cy Young year. The problem with Zach Greinke and the Kansas City Royals was their timelines didn't match up, right? right. Like Zach Greinke was an all-star. He was about ready to hit free agency, but the Royals didn't have their young wave of players that related to Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, Alex Gordon. They were not ready to compete for a championship. So what do you do? When you realize your, your timelines don't match up and they don't mesh, you make trades that hurt. Because trades that hurt means, one, that – You've realized that your team's not ready to compete at a championship level. You've realized that you need to supplement some part of your roster with something that you don't have within your system. And three, you're doing your player a service by getting them at a level to where it's right for them, right? So it kind of works for all agencies. And I thought these were moves that the Magic probably needed to make two years ago. And it's a little frustrating that they just made them now because I didn't think that they got the value that they necessarily could have gotten for Nick Vucevic last year. But the important thing was that they realized that the roster that they had at its peak is a six or a seven seed. And if your goal was to win championships and to make it to the quarterfinals or the semifinals, then that roster was not going to get you there. And so what do you have to do? You make the hard decision, you tear it down, you get assets back. So now if there's a player that you really like in the draft, because the Magic have all their first-round assets, 
you have capital to move up. But before, they never had any of that. And that was a big part of the problem. Mm, so if you ask me, I love the trades, right? Yeah. Like, so I, I love it when franchises invest in themselves and they realize that their roster is not good enough because it means they made a hard decision. Okay. So talking about teams that are, you know, championship ready or at the doorstep or think they were almost ready, Denver Nuggets. So Aaron Gordon, JaVale McGee, what do you think? I think it was a good move for them because here, here's the thing about Aaron Gordon. The Magic for the longest time, and I'm not going to turn this whole segment into a soliloquy about the Magic and their miscues, but they didn't understand how, how to use him, right? Like they kept trying to make him a three, but he wasn't a three, and they kept trying to make him a small ball five, and he wasn't a five. What he is is he's a really good defensive player and probably the fourth or fifth best option on a championship caliber team offensively. And that's what he's going to be able to do in Denver because he's going to have Jokic. He's going to have Murray. He's going to have other guys that he can play off of that can be the offensive threats. And now what they can ask him to do is just be a lockdown defender and get buckets that fit within the system. So I love this for Denver. I thought, you know, and Denver's, one of the most analytical and thought-provoking teams, I think, in the NBA. And I think they really thought hard about if this was the right move for them. And they came to the conclusion that it was worth it. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I get, I'm down with the move as well. However, the one I'm really looking at, because this is, this is the, we're, we're building towards something. In case you ever knows, we're building towards something. <laughs> we're, we're building towards champions, right? We're building to, a, We start and, at the and, bottom and we work our way. <laughs> started at the bottom and now we're here. <laughs> So the Nets feel like a team that's got all-stars from like, you know, the last 10 years. It's like just like collecting all-stars. You know, like, you know, it, I, I don't know if it's going to work, but, but I'm really intrigued by it. I just don't want to be the guy that says that there's too many mouths to feed, right? Like, like there's, there's a reason that with Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge on the buyout market that they went to Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Like, like, like they want a ring. If they were there, I don't know, maybe signing like a three or four year deal. And this was year two or three in that deal. I, I could understand where you could use that philosophy as, nah, man, they got too much talent. Like those guys are going to get frustrated. They're going to get angry with their minutes. No, I, I, I think Blake Griffin, when he chose to sign there, he's been so frustrated with kind of the playoff struggles that he's had in his career from his days with the Clippers. And then, you know, just, whatever that was with the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> Let's just call that whole experiment yeah, like, like right. what it was. I think Blake Griffin wants a ring, and I think he's going to do whatever he can and play whatever role that he can to win a ring. And I think the same can be said for LaMarcus Aldridge because when Aldridge left Portland and he went to San Antonio, I think he went to San Antonio thinking that he was going to be able to get a ring, yeah, and it yeah. didn't pan out. And he wanted to be part of that culture, and it didn't work out. Now he's going with guys that, are probably his friends and that he sees as a legit opportunity to win a ring. And so they're the odds on favorite, man. And there's no way around it. The only question I have is how fast they can continuously add all these new pieces because they added Harden like a heartbeat and they didn't miss anything. This is a, Another scenario because, you know, Blake and Aldridge can spread the floor a little bit, but they're two very different players. 
Yeah, I'm just not entirely sure how this is going to work. I mean, like, you know, it's the, you know, the, the old paper championship thing. Like, you know, they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to face, you know, a team. And, you know, you know Ethan was talking about this during, you know, during, the, during the segment, like, you know, Miami, you know, they're, they're, I'm not necessarily saying that, that, that that'll be the team that kind of derails them, but Miami's just going about, they do what they do, they get yeah. to the playoffs, and then they smack you in the jaw, and they keep smacking you for seven games. Because they and, play hard. Yeah, and you just wonder, like, you know, where is Brooklyn going to fall? Are they going to kind of figure it out, and, you know, is it going to work, or is it, are they going to be one of those teams that... It's kind know, of a finesse team, isn't it? Uh, be, be, becoming that, yeah, yeah, and or 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 has been that, I guess, and and you just I just so I don't know what Brooklyn team is gonna is gonna wind up showing up, but you kind of feel like they've got so many options and so many weapons, you feel like they've got to figure out a way, you know, to get through the East. But you know, that's why they play the games, right? <laughs> exactly, you got to play the games to win the championship, right? Like, like, oh, that's what it all. Um, real quick, drumming to the Lakers. Do you have a thought on that? Uh, look, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if that move happens, if, if, uh, AD is healthy and if LeBron is, is healthy, but, um, you know, like any, anything that's going to give you more, more size, uh, and, and, and crash the boards and all that, I think they could definitely use it, use that, uh, use that help. And so I, I applaud it. Uh, I, li- I also like Jeannie Buss's comment. What'd she say? I didn't oh, see she, she, uh, she, she trolled. She basically trolled the Nets, basically saying like, you know, oh, hey guys, we're, we're over here. We're we're, <laughs> we're still here. Uh, so we'll we'll see. Look, they, they look. They have to. They got to get through the West. I mean, they, that's that's. Uh, yeah, that's a much tougher conference to get through. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but I, you know, I think AD will be healthy, and I think LeBron will bounce back, and and, and we'll and we'll be like none of this ever happened. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, hey, real quick before we go. Uh, opening days on Thursday. Um, you followed the Rangers a little bit, right? I follow the Rangers a little bit. What are your thoughts on them this year? Uh, the Rangers are in major rebuild mode. Um, they they are they have cleared out a lot of the. Um, I'll say dead weight in the in the infield. Yeah. Um, don't ex- you know you you can expect to see some of the guards from the farm system uh, up by midseason. Uh, third base definitely Josh Young. Uh, second base Justin Foscue perhaps. So they, they have, they have, by this. well, look, I, Hey, okay, we'll start <laughs> telegram representing. So, so look, I, I, I think, I think they're one of those teams like, uh, like, like Houston was several years ago they, where they're just going to be, you know, they may wind up with 90 losses, but they're going to get, I think they're going to get a lot of experience in a hurry. And, you know, by 2024, 2025, cause they have also got some young arms. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, I mean, they're not going to the playoffs this year, but, they will be entertaining. Fans will get to see baseball and in the new ballpark. So all that, you know, it's it's good news. And hey, look, and we're gonna have I think we're gonna have forty thousand on opening day on Monday. That's that that's the amazing thing, right? Like you guys COVID be damned. A capacity stadium. <laughs> but hey, you know what? We're getting back to some sense of normalcy. Yes, we good, are. right. It's yes, it's nice to have fans back in the ballparks this year for opening day. But hey man, it's late for you. It's late for me. You ready to wrap this thing up? Let's wrap this thing up. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing.
Special thanks to Ethan Skolnick of Five Recent Sports for joining Otto and Five on the Floor podcast. Thanks to our producer, Daniel Kramer, for putting this show together and our editor, Kristen Woolley. Hey, please check out all of our podcasts here at Pure Hoops Media. This week on the Mike Weiss Show, the one and only Bruce Bernstein fills in for Mike. And he's had a guy who's been a friend of this show, uh, Steve Bullpett, as they discuss Boston acquiring Evan Fournier. Full court with Fisher and K drops every Tuesday. Monica McNutt and King McClure have buckets, boards, and blocks every Thursday. I'm sure they will be talking about a few big Baylor moments this past week, not only as Baylor advanced to the Final Four, but also the women's team's contest against UConn in the Elite Eight. And as always, we wrap things up with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman as they have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And Otto and I are back next Wednesday with Catch and Shoot 2.0. Otto, is there anything I missed? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> if it's show close time, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, it's This is your COVID pre- prevention PSA. Uh, everybody, take this stuff seriously. I got my COVID vaccine today. It's not a brag. It's just trying to tell everybody to you know stay vigilant here. Uh, continue to wear masks, continue to social distance, wash hands, all that good stuff. If you are in line to get the vaccine, get it. It doesn't matter which one you get. They will all protect you. Uh, and that's, uh, that's what we want. We want a return to normal. Um, and I want to also give a shout out to all the medical professionals, all the frontline workers that continue to do great work in keeping all of us safe. So with that, and for Aaron Berlin, my name is Otto Strong, and we will see you next week. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.